This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Walking Each Other Home is an exploration of the many ways we cultivate wisdom, compassion, and love in our lives. Mirabai Bush talks with some of her many diverse friends about what they're learning now from their spiritual paths and practices. If you would like to support this podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Mirabai. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> I was ready. I'm so glad. <laughs> well, welcome everyone. Uh, Elizabeth just asked me who the audience is, and I told her I have no idea. But I'm happy you're all here. And I know many of you will be people I know because you're going to want to hear Elizabeth. Elizabeth Lesser is the author of several best-selling books, including Cassandra Speaks, When Women Are the Storytellers, the Human Story Changes. That is such a great title. I, I love it. And the book is beautiful. We're going to talk about it later. Um, Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow, and Marrow, which I read more than once. I loved that book about your sister, Love, Loss, and What Matters Most. She's the co-founder of Omega Institute, which offers workshops and conferences in wellness, spirituality, creativity, and social change. She's given two popular TED Talks and is one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, a collection of 100 leaders who are using their voices and talent to elevate humanity. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you, Mirabai, oh dear friend. I was just going to say, we have a, that's your bio, but we have a kind of overlapping bio also, a long history. This is what I was thinking of. Um, Pier Vilayat Khan, who I met with Ramdas on the way home from India uh, in London. Um, and of course, Omega, which was founded in 1977, and the early Ramdas retreats there with the bonfires. And... Um, and then being on the board, which I loved. And I was remembering some of the New York conferences and how amazing they seemed at the time in the beginning. And how one time I had to, I had to uh, fill in for um, 
Abdul Aziz Saeed who couldn't get there. And I, I came out, people were somewhat disappointed. Um, and, then, and confused. They and confused. Uh, Abdul Aziz Saeed, who is a, uh, like a, looks like Omar Sharif. Yes. Uh, <laughs> And then the Ramdas Library and the Sanctuary. Anyhow, I remembered those things. I I, I wonder what you remember. <laughs> I remember, I mean, I remember so many things. I re- remember, maybe because I just wrote this book, which is about women, uh, I remember you and I often being the only women who were leaders in these mm. circles of spirituality, psychology, um, and kind of often having eye-rolling moments with you and moments of just sort of unspoken understanding. And also because both you and I are organizing types, I like things organized. And I know like we both run large organizations, you need to be organized. And then often we, you and I were herding the same cats trying <laughs> to keep people on schedule. And, <laughs> Lunch starts at 12. That means you need to end at 12 and being like being kind of disrespected, but nonetheless having to do our thing. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Well, um, also, I mean, reading your book, which I just so loved and thinking about, um, you know, the early times of of. um, gathering women together. I remember doing a whole series with Vicki Noble of women's yes. retreats there that at Omega. That was a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. And they were wonderful. Yeah. Um, so what I want this podcast series to be is um, a celebration of the many ways in which we seek. Um, and, oh, I didn't say this, but your first book, which I still remember you writing, uh, is called A Seeker's Guide. And so that's that's how I was thinking of the podcast series from the beginning, uh, thinking about the many ways in which we all, everybody, seeks for meaning, for truth, for spirit, for home. And um, the first episode I told you was with John Densmore, who had just published a book called The Seeker's. Um, about people who inspired him along the way, seeking, seeking home. Hmm. I, uh, he said a great thing in that interview, which was um, uh, that the first sound you hear is the sound of your mother's heartbeat in the womb. And uh, so he said he thought that's why he became a drummer. But um, then, but he also said about the womb, he said, it's the ultimate homeland security. (laughs) Oh, oh that's sweet. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, and I loved what you said in Cassandra. I, I think of my deeper self as my home. I remember Maharaji used to say, the whole world is my home. And and I, I was thinking about Omega was an external home that you created where people could seek in the early days when there weren't very many places where you could do it. So let's talk since since your latest book is about women, women in power, um, 
and you've brought together many women over the years in in the Women's Leadership Institute and 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 programs called Women in Power. Could you just start by sharing some of what you learned, maybe some of what surprised you or some important moments in the unfolding of all of that? Mm. Yes. Um, you know, when, when one's core seeking is about a home where distinctions fall apart and we are all one, dicing it up into women has it's 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 kind of like why are you doing that yep at the same time you know i like the way eckhart tolle says we are human beings we are human and there's all sorts of stuff that goes along with that ultimately we're beings but at the moment we're humans and there are interesting things that happen in our human life that keep us from finding home and sometimes for women, it's very different than it is for men. So yes, we're all heading to the same home. In fact, we already are there, but there are these veils that keep us from knowing how to be at home in our bodies, in our relationships, in the earth, in the cosmos. Mm -hmm. And after a while, uh, being a wife married to men, not at the same time, Two marriages <laughs> simultaneously. I understand. Um, <laughs> having sons, working primarily in leadership with men, so many of the teachers coming to Omega, men. I, I'd always been a feminist. I was raised by a feminist. I was raised in a family of four daughters, my mother, my grandmother, my great aunt, and my father. And my father ruled the roost. And for some reason, even as a little little girl, I was the identified troublemaker in the family. It was like, wait a second, there's there's like seven of us women and one man. Why don't we get a say? What's going on here? And I was the one who would stand up to my sisters and to my father. And my sisters were always embarrassed about me. Any event, I brought that same spirit into the work world and very similar things were going on. And I, one thing I've, I have organized hundreds of conferences over the years at Omega, whether they're, they've been in wellness or cancer or poetry or environmental Mm -hmm. activism one year. And I often use like, what are we going to do a conference on this year? What's making people disturbed in the culture? Like if I was putting one together now, it would be probably about race or about climate change or about how do we learn something from the pandemic. But about 20 years ago, I began to feel in my own self and in the culture, when you put the two words women and power together, people get uncomfortable. I get, I got uncomfortable. It's like, I don't want to be powerful. I don't mm-hmm. want power. I don't like power. Women aren't supposed to want power. power. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's interesting. I'm just going to ask the question, what do we feel about power as women? Can we do it differently? If we get it, do we just turn into the same people that we don't want to turn into? So I invited a few teachers I, for the first conference. I invited Anita Hill who was still an an important figure Mm. in the forefront of the culture from 
uh, having been involved in in the Clarence Thomas hearings for the Supreme Court, I invited Eve Ensler, who was the author of the Vagina Monologues and the founder of V-Day, and Iyana Lavanzant. These and and we all we many of us know their names, but putting these specific people together was kind of strange. And I was surprised several hundred people came, which was a lot for yeah. I thought for something like how do you feel about women and power in your life and in the world and it just was on fire it was amazing and so we did it again and again and by like the fourth year we did it in new york city there were two thousand women from around the world and one year i called it women power and peace and we had every um every Nobel Peace Prize winner who was a woman. And you mm. might think, how did you fit them all? Well, there were only five. <laughs> right. and two of them weren't allowed, allowed out of their countries, mm. one from Iran and one from Myanmar. And mm. so there were three. And oh. we paired them with other women who were trying to use their power to bring about peace. And one of the, you asked me what surprised me, in that uh, one, what's her name? Um, Williams, Jody Williams, who had won the prize for right. banning landmines as a weapon of war. She had mm. gone to these countries, stood up to warlords, walked across fields where they said, don't walk there, there are landmines. And she'd be like, well, I'm going to walk anyway until you promise me you're going to get rid of them. And she would risk her life. And she was being interviewed on stage by Pat Mitchell, the, who was head of PBS at the moment. And Pat said, so where does your power come from? And she says, I don't have power. I don't like power. I don't want power. And Pat kept pushing it, saying, but you walk across fields with landmines. That's kind of powerful. No, power is corrupting. I don't want power. And I realized then that somehow we had to get across the idea to women and men, A, there was another way to do power. Power is just wanting to express your authentic, alive chi in the world. Power does not have to come at the expense of other people's power. How are we going to teach that kind of power? And also, do women have a more natural connection to that kind of shared mm. Power. And that's really why I wrote Cassandra Speaks, because that all my years of leading that conference gave me some ideas about it. It's so good. And yeah. Uh, yeah, what what one thing I loved about it is that um it combines social awareness and action for change with the inner life to uh, and practice and to different kinds of, of power that way. How, how that deepening the inner vision um, helps us be better activists and also how working for change develops our inner vision. Um, not so many people really get that, understand it as subtly as you do. You want to say something about that? Yeah. Well, I made up a word to try to figure out how to 
get that idea across. I call it innervism. There's activism and innervism. I, I, I wanted a word that wasn't like contemplative practice, which I love. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite yeah. phrases, thanks <laughs> to you. Um, but I wanted a word that had kind of like muscle. Mm-hmm. like Because my, my whole interest is detaching the word powers and leadership from the word uh, warrior and hero, this sense that to be powerful, you have to somehow follow the hero's journey that involves violence and control and risking your life. Like I'm interested in heroes who are soft at heart, who are caring, who wanna change the world through love and community. And the reason I feel practice, spiritual practice has to be part of that is because like for years at Omega, we have brought um, activists and like organizations, whether they're working for peace or social justice or the environmental realm and given them free access to a week at Omega where they can have their board meetings, use, you know, a lot of the inner technologies that you and I know so well, meditation, yoga, healing. And we did that because we noticed that so many people in the social justice world are angry and stressed out and not, and they're not running their organizations along the same lines that they envision the world. It's, it's just like the contrast is so tragic that we thought, well, let's help people who are doing the work on the ground to transform the world, transform themselves at the same time so they don't burn out, so they don't uh, hurt each other. Uh, so that is why I feel combining meditation, physical healing work, um, and especially for women who are working in the field of ending violence against women, working on our own sense of body and sex and and com- coming home to our bodies, which we often aren't at home in because we either have been hurt, so we have a lot of, of boundaries up that keep us from having a luscious, luscious experience of being embodied. Yes. <laughs> we can stop now. <laughs> but I have more questions. <laughs> um uh, yeah, oh, the pandemic. <laughs> the pandemic has revealed, just as you've been saying, some of the weaknesses in the fabric of society, some of the systems that led to millions of people uh getting this virus and dying. And I mean, I think it's more obvious than ever that when we don't build programs and systems based on love that we cause harm. And um, I want to I, I want to think about, and I can tell you're thinking about it, how we go forward, how we learn from this. Uh, there was a lot to be learned in this. Uh, how we go forward creating new systems and directions that lead to a more... Um, compassionate, wise, sane 
uh, caring society. Um, in in 2011, you gave a TED talk called "Take the Other to Lunch." I think it needs to be reissued, although I know there's no such thing anymore as reissuing. Everything's out there forever. Um, but um, a call for negotiating our differences as humans. Um, so. What are you thinking now about going forward? I'm sure you're having a lot of thoughts about it. Yeah, I think about it a lot. I, I, I'm sure the way we'll go forward is the way we always go forward as people, like bumpily, yeah. <laughs> sometimes wisely. I'm very hopeful. I'm also like, oh, God probably when this is over, we'll just go back to basically the way we were. But on the other hand, a lot of amazing stuff has happened during the pandemic. Um, and not only during, but because of, I think a lot of the power of the Black Lives Matter movement, of the Me Too movement, of really finally looking at climate change as real and critical, I think the pandemic has only given that a sharper edge because, you know, in one of my books, Broken Open, I describe the way we learn individually as the Phoenix process, where we have to like have some sort of trauma happen before we can burn what's old and wants to burn in the fire so that the new Phoenix bird in us can arise. And I do think new things are arising. And I'm an incurable optimist. I'd probably, you know, I'll be, I'll just always be like that. So I, I think the pandemic, which has brought so much suffering, will also bring a lot of liberation and insight and change. And I think it's up to each one of us. Um, to make sure it happens in our own life, first of all. You know, that's to me where the hardest work is. For me, you know, I can talk a good game about love and oneness and then ob observe how I treat my husband, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know, that I don't recycle, you know, things like that. So it's like, Really doing the work in my own life always is the most important thing to me. You know, am I being loving, kind? Am I practicing loving kindness with the people closest to me? Yeah. If I can pull that off, I think that's probably more important than any book I write or school I find. You know, like just being a decent, awake, luminous being as I walk through my small world, that that's a good place to start. And I think the pandemic is, is going to have that effect on many, many people. Do I need to travel? Do I really need to get in a plane and, and burn so much carbon? Do I need to do that? No, I didn't do it for a year, so I don't need to do that. Uh, do I need to, uh, the way I eat, the way... I work the way we do meetings. I, I think things are going to change. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so much. I You started out saying that you're hopeful. And as you know, I'm a, a, 
an optimist as well and always hopeful. But, you know, it's been it's been hard at through this and it's hard for a lot of people having hope well, for the you know future. What? I'll, I'll never forget one of the first retreats Ram Dass did at Omega. This was before we were on our campus in Rhinebeck. This was in New Lebanon, New York. Oh, right. Yeah. And it was during a social justice work called the Nuclear Freeze Movement. Oh, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now there were a lot of concerts for it. There was a lot of talk about it, a lot of work on trying to freeze the production and use of nuclear armaments. And so there were about three or 400 people in this big room with Ramdas. And Ramdas is talking about meditation and other realms of being and putting down our stories and living in oneness. And all of a sudden, this woman raises her hand and she becomes more and more agitated as she's speaking. I can't believe we're sitting here as, as nuclear weapons are proliferating. And, and one day it's like somebody's going to push that button and there's going to be this big mushroom cloud and we're all going to like die together. And Ramdas puts his hand up and he goes like, ah, that sounds wonderful. Oh, <laughs> I mean, we'll all go up together in a big, beautiful cloud and we'll be one. And she got very upset. I think she talked about But most of us got the point she, he was making, which is like, we don't really ultimately know what's going on here. We don't know why things are happening. Maybe COVID is a shamanic force come to wake up the world. We, we, it's, you don't want to say that to someone who's just lost their grandmother. Yeah, yeah. But, but we don't know. I remember Terrence McKenna, another mm. brilliant teacher, mm-hmm. saying something like, why would you worry? Worry is a form of hubris. Worry is a form of hubris. You presume to know what's going on here. So to me, that's another form of innervism that goes with our activism. Yes, be passionate, be angry, be wildly committed to your cause. And you don't know both. Yeah, that was one of the, you know, first things that seemed clear that combined with how we are all interconnected um that that i mean who knew even even though i n- knew a number of epidemiologists you know from Seva foundation um yes larry uh, brilliant yes mm-hmm. and oh, so man. they've been talking about this for you know for ever since the end of smallpox um and so intellectually i knew that this was possible but I, I certainly never thought it was going to happen, really. Um, and um, uh, so, but I, you know, one day I thought, oh my God, a bat bit a pangolin, which I'd never heard of before, in China, in Wuhan, which I hadn't heard of either. And, um, and everything changed on the whole planet. Right. That was so amazing. I mean, that yeah, we are all interconnected, and yeah, we have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, and, like we can say, 
you know, the butterfly effect. It sounds yes, lovely right. with the butterfly <laughs> flapping its wings while it's a bat bat fighting a pangolin. It's the same deal. <laughs> that was stunning to me. Um, yeah. That, and then I was thinking, uh, I loved that you um, uh, told the Pandora story in the book about she opens the box and everything comes out. And mostly that's the part of the story that has endured, you know, but, but what you, what you also said was the one thing she kept in the box and closed up so it wouldn't be lost, wouldn't, was hope. And I love that. And, uh, and I, I earlier, well, before COVID, uh, I was doing an event for Brother David. He had he is turning ninety three, and he had given all his, um, <laughs> I call paraphernalia, his <laughs> intellectual property um, <laughs> to um, to University of Massachusetts. So we were doing a an event on social change and spirituality and so on. And so, but before we. Uh, did it on stage we were talking to him and he was saying oh he felt so bad about the way the world was now and uh, so someone said um uh do you mean you don't have hope and he said oh yeah I have hope what does hope mean to you he said hope means the um ability to be surprised Mm. (laughs) That's so lovely. <laughs> so there's always that we don't know. We it's and and we will be surprised by um what happens. But um yeah, that's great. Well what do you think? Um I mean, have you thought about specifically or generally <laughs> what women what women in particular have to offer to this rebuilding um, this world, how we, how we live now? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's another thing that COVID has shown. Uh, I've always wondered from the time I was a, a, a kid in elementary school when we were learning history, why was it always about the dates of battles and the names of wars? And why does like General Sherman be on a golden horse at the beginning of Central Park? And because he fought this. Why is it always about the warriors? He burned down my great grandfather's farm. Okay. And he also (laughs) actually was the uh, curator of bringing Native Americans into. Yes, um, he was. And he, his way of doing it, of forcing them off their lands and into reservations, was to kill all the buffalo. So, and then he's the the hero on a golden horse. I, I once said aloud in an event, and people thought it was bizarre. Why don't we have like a woman with her legs spread wide giving birth <laughs> to a baby? We have men. Being, you know, stabbed by bayonets and holding their bloody brothers. Why, why don't we have a woman giving birth? Uh, oh, that's so gross and bloody. Like, yeah. So my point is, I think COVID is showing that the care economy, 
the people who are in our hospitals, the home health aides, the teachers. These are the heroes. I am so grateful for firemen and policemen. I'm not putting them down, but I'm interested in a new kind of first responder. I would like us to start calling elementary school teachers first responders. First first responders, because they yes, get there yes. first and try to raise beautiful citizens or nurses or the the women who take care of our older parents so tenderly, carefully. These are my heroes. And I would like women to stand tall and firm and strong in our pride about what we do so that it receives the muscle and clout that it deserves and money and priority so that a a home health aide could say, I'm a first responder. Oh, I love that. The care economy. I actually haven't heard that phrase before. Yeah, that's, that's, um, Aijin Poo. Do you know mm-hmm. Ajin? Yeah. Who, who is, and her whole crew of people who are trying to unionize women who clean houses and hotels and home health aides mm. because they're so poorly treated, poorly yep. paid, and under cared for as they're caring for us. It's the care economy. I love that. It's really great. Um. Do you, have any, do you have any um, uh, insight? I would refer to your uh, TED talk that you did around um, uh, taking the other to lunch. But uh-huh. people keep asking how we can bridge this right. divide, you know. Um, do you have any, even, it doesn't have to be new thoughts, but some, some <laughs> suggestion for people about that? Oh, my goodness. This is the big work. I thought it was big work when I gave that TED Talk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was it 10 years ago or something? Because that was when the Tea Party was just blossoming in the culture, and it seemed like there was the rise of Fox News, and people were getting different facts. And But now it's so, so... Um, I know it's happened before in the world. We shouldn't act like this is the first time this has ever happened. You know, there are there are cultures where the government absolutely controls the press. Now we know why why a free and fair press is so critical. We are learning this. If there is two different sets of facts, it's very hard to take the other to lunch and have a conversation. Yeah. About- it's it's hard, but it's not impossible, and it's even more important. And what I mean by that is, you know, we talk about diversity, especially if we're semi-woke people or, you know, progressives, and we think of diversity as like, yeah, liberation and freedom and equity for all races, all sexualities, all nationalities. But when it comes to diversity of opinions, we have to understand that there's always going to be people who believe differently than us. And that does not make them bad or wrong. There are many ways to, we want to all get to the same place. If you were to talk to someone, not a QAnon nutcase, 
Um, but if you were to talk to someone who's who's a Republican, I'm assuming most people listening here aren't, but maybe you are. They're awesome, excellent people with a different point of view of how to get to a place where families are well provided for, everyone's safe, and we have clean drinking water and air we can breathe. People go, check, check, check. I want all of that. How we get there? It's just a different opinion. And I'm just as disturbed now by the way the left is demonizing the right as the way the right is demonizing the left. So in our small circles, your uncle who doesn't believe in global warming or your next door neighbor who has a sign on her lawn for a different political person, saying to that person, can we have tea? Can we go to lunch? It's harder now with COVID, but (laughs) eventually. I don't want to change your opinion, and I don't want you to try to change mine. I just want to fall in love with you as a person so that if anything bad ever happened, we'd have each other's back. Mm. (laughs) That's the goal. That's the goal. And intelligent people can pull this off. We just have to. This is where meditation is so helpful. Interrupting knee-jerk voices. Bad person. I don't agree. Not my tribe. Just interrupting that um, monkey mind that that categorizes people as good and bad. Finding some equanimity inside and approaching somebody from that space. It's almost magic. In most cases, somebody will be like, wow, cool. I'll do that. Yes, I will do that. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot of that that needs to happen for sure. Yeah. Not the final answer, but you know, oh, I'm I'm looking at this quote right now. You know, I I have this bucket of quotes and I pick one every day to 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 move yes. day. I I live my day by so it. cool. And mm-hmm. this one I added the other day, Joseph President Joseph Biden said it during his inauguration speech and it makes me feel we can do this. We can transform the world. He said, through civil war, the Great Depression, World War, 9-11, through struggle, sacrifices, and setbacks, our better angels have always prevailed. In each of these moments, enough of us, enough of us have come together to carry all of us forward, and we can do that now. And that thing, enough of us, Instead of thinking, all of us have to get there. Yeah, yeah. Huh. That gives me hope. It's a good book title. Enough of us, right? <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, I, I want to ask you, but it's a big subject, but you can just say yes or no. <laughs> Have you been thinking and talking within this incredible network of women about women and aging? You know, I interviewed the author Isabel Allende the other night. She has a new book out called The Soul of a Woman. And I'd say a third of it is about aging. It's a very small book. It Mm -hmm. is a beautiful, wonderful book. 
I mm-hmm. highly recommend it to everyone, women, men, any gender, any age. Um, and I think about women and aging all the time. You know why I'm a woman and I'm aging. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was, it was kind of a ridiculous <laughs> question. No, it's a beautiful question. <laughs> I've been actually thinking maybe because I'm crazy and I keep writing books, even though writing books are so hard, I'm thinking maybe that'll be my next book. Not necessarily women in aging, just spirit and aging, because um, there's so much room for spiritual practice. As we age, because everything that's just sort of theoretical when you're younger is like right in front of you, whether it's the decrepitude of the body or death, or the biggest thing for me is having to let go of who we thought we were. Like I told you before we started taping, my grandson wanted me to teach him to ski. I knew I shouldn't go. I absolutely knew. It wasn't even intuition. It was like, (laughs) I have bad knees. I've had knee surgery. Do not do it. But there's a part of me, not just I want to please my grandson. It's like, screw that. I am skiing. I grew up skiing. It's my happy place. I am doing it. Well, I really hurt my knee. I probably need surgery again. Skiing. When my little grandson fell on me getting off the chairlift. So to to not just be careful, Isabel talks in her book about this fine line between not turning, you know, not fossilizing and becoming a scared, feeble person, staying risky and on the edge and full of life as long as you can, but at the same time realizing I cannot do what I used to do and being graceful and grateful about yeah. it. Like yeah. once Oprah said, somebody said to her, like, do you tell people how old you are? She was like, well, why wouldn't I? Well, because, you know, because you, you don't really want to ever get to that age. And she was like, I've lost so many friends who never got to be 60, 65, 70, 80. Like every year is a gift. I want to live like that. It's hard, and it requires giving up uh, aspects of myself and welcoming in other ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just add one. I agree with it all, of course. <laughs> so I'm a little ahead of you, um, my dear. <laughs> but um, I was. Um, Oh, I'm not going to say. I forgot what I was going to say, which proves the point. <laughs> no, but one one thing I've been um, discovering is I've been you've been um, all of your books are partly memoir, and and so I know you've been engaged in this process for a long time. But um, so I decided I don't know if it'll ever become a book. I'm calling it writing a memoir, but. It's really looking back over my life and pulling out old letters and journals and so on. Um, and um, what I discovered was I, I realized that, you know, 
how it is over the years when you're a teacher and speaker and, you know, people ask you for the short form of your life, you know, and how you get here. And I would often say, you know, about my earlier life that um, I was, when I was married the first time uh, and on an Air Force base, you know, and I'd say, you know, I just began to realize that something was calling me and I didn't know what it was, but I knew I wasn't in the right place. And I like enlarged that. And then I kind of sketch out the rest of it in those terms, seeking basically. Um, But uh, when I went back and looked at, you know, particularly letters from my mother and from that husband, uh, I realized that you know, it was a bigger story than that. And I really did hurt people in the process. Yeah. And, you know, and I, that's never part of the story when I tell it, you know. Um, and, and my, and I felt like nobody understood. But actually, when I look back, my mother understood. She just didn't want me to do that. <laughs> and uh, so it was very humbling you know, because I had this story. Right? Now right. I, it's a different story. And uh, so I think that, uh, of course, that's the practice of meditation, looking at the stories your mind is making up about who you are. And I could say that always, but I realized, oh my God, <laughs> it happens that there's data <laughs> that says that that was not what happened. Um, and yeah, uh, I would say besides meditation, the most important seeking work I have done is the Jungian shadow work. Mm, yeah. Really looking beyond the, the nicey nice stories I have told about myself in order to feel good about myself and proceed with my willful little life and to look like much deeper underground. And I think for feminists, the shadow work is really important not to put out this assumption, women good, men bad, patriarchy, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> problem yeah. with everything, women will solve it. Like, <laughs> we bring our own baggage, we of bring course. our own coping <laughs> mechanisms, and our own way of getting power. Sometimes it's manipulative through the back door. Um, and and owning it, and owning that we we were indeed just as responsible in our first marriages for them failing. Um, it, in our own ways and owning it. Why? So that we can really grow and and really have our seeking end in finding home. Um, Because those lies we tell about ourselves keep us from home. Yeah. Wow. That is a a gorgeous way to to end this conversation. (laughs) It's so true because... Home is, well, my mother used to say home is where the heart is, but home is your inner self. And uh, and you can't get there when you're telling yourself lies. It's yeah. just not available to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really great. Um, so... We need <laughs> we need many more conversations together. Whenever you want. But this one, oh boy, I am so I'm renewed and filled with love for you and everyone and and hope in all the 
all the um, dimensions of hope. And just thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you for everything you've done, as well as just being you even for this hour. Things I've done, even all the lies. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we grow. That's how we grow. <laughs> um, thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Mirabai. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/slash/be-here-now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. dot com slash be here now.